It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk. I'm Eric Cohn. I'm Ann Thompson. And we are a week away from the Cannes Film Festival, which is always a fun time for you and I to get fired up about international cinema. But before we get into that, let's check in on the WGA strike. When we talked last week, it was just getting going. Now it's starting to kind of feel like business as usual or not business as usual. How are you seeing sort of the reverberations of this in terms of what you're doing these days? It's kind of fascinating how Netflix is becoming, you know, the boogeyman at the center of the whole thing. Totally. Which it is. I mean, this is not an inaccurate assessment that that the disruptions uh, that Netflix had wrought are, in fact, at the center of this whole thing. And whatever comes down in terms of a resolution is going to have Netflix at the center of it, too. But, you know, Ted Sarandos had to cancel his his pen award appearance and, you know, they had to turn their uh the the the, the upfronts in New York that, that are usually in person into into some kind of uh, virtual thing because there was going to be such a big protest there. So they're getting a lot of protests at Netflix. And and the other thing that I think is great is that the in a way that I don't think I remember seeing before, the writers are very organized and they're actually figuring out how to target specific shows and shut them down. And so there's a lot of production that is being. Yeah, you've been seeing a lot of I mean, the thing is, people don't realize at first that their favorite shows have been affected. But when you go longer than you expected before the new season of Stranger Things landed, suddenly it's real. And so you're starting to see the early stirrings of the disruption that they're trying to tap into, though it is interesting how anybody who tries like some kind of workaround or seems like they might have a work around where they could still be on set as a showrunner gets called out, which the is what we thought. Showrunners are the... getting called out. Even the directors are getting called yes. out. You know what? What are you allowed to do? What are you allowed to change? Yeah. So it's it's a very it's a it's a it's it's very well organized. I'm I'm impressed. And then the other, um, you know, I had I did a Q and A with Paul Schrader at the Arrow, and I always enjoy talking to him, as I know you do. Um, and he, you know, he's fun to see on Facebook. He's had some profiles in New York and the New Yorker that are fun to read, which I recommend. He plays the media, doesn't he? He knows Not what he's that. doing, he, and but. <laughs> Well, he plays a room. It's fun yeah. to see him play a room because he's going for he's he's practiced. You know, he's going for the laughs. And uh, and if you've read all the articles, you know, some of his stories already. But it's did you fun. read the New Yorker article? I mean, I was impressed yeah. that he got a 10,000 word or whatever. It was long. It was it was like, I didn't feel like it was a lot of new, new information, no. but it was certainly a lot of consolidation in terms of the impact this person has had on American cinema and his resilience in his late 70s still cranking out screenplays and so forth 
Well, so. we covered a lot of ground. I mean, it, it, it was an arrow crowd, so they were asking questions about transcendental style, of course. It was a screening of First Reformed followed by Card Counter. And he's got Master Gardener coming up, which um, is part of this Lonely Man trilogy. But what we talked about also was the writer strike. So he has a theory that if the directors and the actors support the writers when they go into their negotiations, because some of the same issues happen to apply especially to the directors in terms of, of the uh, disruptions to their residuals, right? Then you could have a shorter strike because they would have to resolve it with them. But then the inverse of that is that the directors might be getting fired up by the same questions that the writers are on strike about and even more inclined to strike, which they haven't done in what, They've four years for three, they did it for three hours? Three hours, right. So it's very rare. It, it, it's, 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 they're not going it, to, it's unlikely that the directors are going to strike. What's likely is that if, if, if what his favorite idea of a scenario would be that they would all come to terms to put yeah. a strike. But the, I mean, we talked about this before, but the terms that that the writers are asking for are so far removed from what the studios seem likely to meet. So I just don't see the happy medium yet. It feels like this could last a while until we get to a place where somebody flinches. Well, the directors could be could be because they're talking now. The directors and the AMPTP are talking now and the actors are going to come up soon. They're both going to expire on June 30th if they if they figure out how to fix all of these issues, the writers will f- follow along. Well, one of the things we're seeing also is that there's like this greater awareness that writing permeates so many different aspects of the process. I mean, this idea that, you know, showrunners were told by big studios that they had to go back to work, right? HBO and Disney said, go back to work if you're a showrunner, which isn't a real credit, by the way. You're usually the head writer or the EP. And a lot of people were saying, well, there's no non-writing part to being a showrunner. And for a second there, it seemed like Tony Gilroy was still producing in a non-writing capacity on Andor, even though everybody knows Tony Gilroy is a writer. He's the there's writer. Always a, you know, but so eventually he had to say, no, 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 I'm really not on this show, which is still shooting in London. Uh, somehow without Tony Gilbert, they're really well, trying they're to get supposedly this done. shooting House of the Dragon season two in London. Also, right. It's uh, a messy I process. Heard, I haven't heard otherwise, you know, Ryan Condal being the showrunner writer in that case. Right. Um, and I do feel like a lot of people on at every level of this business are really conflicted here. I mean, I've had filmmakers tell me, you know, they finally got this one name actor to do their movie this summer. And they believe in the WGA and the cause of the WGA, but they also really want to get this movie made. So it's a tough situation for a lot of people. And of course, for the gig, the gig economy side of it, the people who are at the low end of the totem pole, they're fighting for their future. But it's it's pretty complicated and kind of kind of rough out there, you know. So I, it, when you see that there is this possibility that it could go on a while, it's a little it's a little scary in terms of you know how people write this ship. So we're going to keep tracking it. It's going to go on, as you said, yeah. for quite a while. And meanwhile, Can is coming yeah. up next week. And, and we'll see if this comes up there. Eric, you and David <laughs> are going to be there in the apartment that I was going to be in. But it turns out I couldn't go and someone else is going to rent my room. I'm so upset, but I'm really sorry to miss it this year. But I'm sorry I, to miss you, too. The many late nights of Rosé, including some that we recorded this podcast alongside, will, will be always a part of our experience one way or the other. So. so I've been trying to get early screenings and I haven't been doing very well. I saw one this morning, uh, something from Asata Regard, which was 
it, the, the subtitles were masked incorrectly and you could only see the if it was a deep caption, you could read the top line. It's so <laughs> if funny. It was a single caption, you couldn't read it at all. And it was in Spanish. So I wasn't doing very well. Oh man, I would have loved that. It would have really stretched my uh, my Spanish skills. But uh, I will say that I had an also a, a, a bad projection experience today in New York for a film I won't name, but it was a pretty significant screening. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, you know, yes, it's a room full of journalists and this is not good. But if this happened in the Palais, you'd have a rebellion, you know, like now is the time to screw up. So I hear there's a rebellion around Indiana Jones. Uh, Disney is demanding that people see it in the Palais. I can see why they want to show it in the Palais. That's the Maybe. best place to show it. Well, sure. And and I do enjoy that experience. You put you put on your, your evening attire and you go to this experience. But I think what's what happens with the media, especially at Cannes, is that everyone who's done it has been in the trenches know how exhausting it is because you don't just go to the experience you go to the experience you see the movie with the crowd and then you got to go get some work done you got to go bang out a review or whatever it is that you're on assignment for and so the idea of you know having to bang out the indiana jones review is less appealing to people when they know that some stuff can pre-screen so why not create the environment where you can bang this one out in advance. But I do think it's it's a fascinating gamble by Disney because, you know, Harrison Ford is being honored. They're essentially saying, like, maybe the movie is good. James Mangold is a good director. It's got to be competent, at least. But maybe the rock star air of a new Indiana Jones film at Cannes, which even met the last one, Crystal Skulls, which was not that great, uh, will help elevate everything, including They're the going for trade. the bells and whistles and hoping it has some influence on how the media responds with a big audience, with a real audience, as opposed yeah. to the press audience. Yeah. But I do I do wonder about these things a lot of a lot of the time, because it is a real question of, you know, how much faith does the studio have in the movie versus the can version of they this? They just movie. maximize their their options. They they all have jobs to do. And and this is their somebody said this is the best way to show the movie. And they well, we saw Top Gun Maverick early last year. We were we were blabbing about Top Gun Maverick this time last year ahead of can. And it still went really well. So I'm just going to put that out there. It doesn't have to. You could trust your journalists if you actually have something good. I mean, Pixar is not pre-screening Elemental, which is a closing night film. Pixar movies have usually done well at Cannes, but they've always been directed by Pete Docter, and this one's not. So I know. Holding out an hope. exception. And, yes, you know, we'll I mean, I want to see Asteroid City. They're not screening that early. I mean, these are movie yeah. films that have distributors who could easily book a screening room. I yeah. do. I do hear that maybe, maybe, maybe Killers of the Flower Moon will screen. Well, we shall see. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of long movies this year, and that's one of them at three hours and 26 minutes. So it's probably a good idea. So so, so there's a couple of films that um, are likely to sell. And, and one of the things there's a story uh, running the same day that this this podcast come, comes out. Uh, that we did on the market, on the sales market. And it's it's an interesting situation where the the, that, the theatrical market couldn't be in worse shape for, for high-end, you know, smart films. Uh, it's not good. But which means that that's really an explanation for why something like May, December, the new Todd Haynes movie with Natalie Portman and uh, Julianne Moore, based on a true crime, um, why this would be uh, in the competition, such a big high-profile movie with no... Uh, distributor for North America. So there that movie's for sale. 
And there's another one called Firebrand. This one with, you know, this Henry VIII movie with Jude Law. That's for sale. And they'll, yeah. I'm sure they're both going to be big sales. They look promising. I've heard good things about both. But it is fascinating because, you know, Cannes isn't always a place where you get huge sales out of nowhere. I mean, Netflix you has- get big in, sales in but... the market for the packages. Yes, exactly. And there are Not quite big. a few big packages too. So you've got, you've got things like- um, Conclave from Edward Berger, right, with Stanley Tucci and and Ray Fiennes and Isabella Rossellini, or and John Lithgow, or you have you have Voyagers, which is this biopic about uh, Carl Sagan and Andruian. You know, I'm there. I Sebastian Lalo, you like him? Yeah. Oh yeah, big fan. Yeah, I mean this the market. Well, that ties back into the strike, right? Because there's also this question of. You know, some of these packages are films that have not shot. A lot of them are films that have not. They might have a trailer or something. And there's a real question now of when they can actually go into production. So I'm curious to see how those deals go down. Some of them are closer to being finished uh, than others. You know, they're all at different stages of, of production. But there's a good, long, healthy list of really kind of robust um, packages that look promising. So, I mean, some of them are like Lords of War, you know, with Nick Cage, the Andrew Nichol movie. You know? Sure. Um, and, and there's Bill always a Nicolas Cage movie at, at the Cannes market. Sometimes right. there have been right. like three of them. So it's business as usual. I mean, that's kind of heartening. It does feel like an old school can in that sense. I mean, you I got think the- it will be more lively than the last few. We've been the, the past few years yeah. when, you know, the different hotels didn't have as many banners on them as, as yeah. usual. Yeah, I feel lucky I to think have the pandemic is, is over, basically. Yeah, I mean, uh, you sound like Joe Biden, right? Like nobody's wearing <laughs> masks. It's fine. But I mean, the thing I'm sure there will be COVID. It can. And there was COVID. I mean, we were there in 2021 before everyone was talking about Delta and not referring to an airline. We and had it was to take definitely tests present. every day. It was oh, horrible. my God. I blocked that? that out. My yeah. God. It was just like another kind of BS. You just adapt. You do what you have yeah. to do, you know? Yeah, and then there was exactly. the year that they didn't have their their uh, digital ticketing uh, figured out. So hopefully oh they're farther it's along. It's opening this weekend. Front. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Everyone's asking me for the press screening schedule. They're trying to figure out. I mean, the industry people at Cam. this is one thing I do appreciate about Cam is that they, they really value critics above all like critics are the, get the best experience it can relative to other stakeholders like industry people really have to fight for tickets you get in trouble if you don't use your ticket there's all this stuff and they everybody wants to get into these press screenings too uh so now everyone's trying to figure that side of things out i mean i guess in some ways the online ticketing thing was an improvement over what can used to be which was a mosh pit it's still very confusing but it's an element that was added because of covid and last year, so so we went to Cannes in 2021. That was in July, which was so weird. And then and we got to see what Cannes <laughs> in the summer was like. Exactly. Very hot. Um, and then families with their kids like, going to the beach. Yeah. And then it was like semi-normal the following year. And this year, but it just feels quieter. like. It was, it was still quite, quite, there were a lot of players who weren't there. Everybody's yeah. going back now. Yeah, and, but it'll, exactly. it'll be a test. It'll be a test of, of what, you know, the appetite the theatrical distributors have for, for buying new, new things. And I don't expect the streamers to be participating because they've been in production with a lot of projects. I spoke to someone from Amazon and they have a ton, a ton of movies coming out. Right. And by but the way, they're very commercial there. movies. There, There's less of the kind of Ted Hope um, kind of movies. Yeah. than Well, they've been moving away from that. 
Oh, I yeah. mean, Air Air comes out now finally on Amazon with very little marketing behind the Prime release because the theatrical was everything. And so I guess now we're going to oh, see, we'll see if that was an anomaly yeah. or not. Yeah, but they'll have a team there. I'm sure Netflix will have a team there. I mean, Netflix actually has the French distribution rights on the opening night film, John Dubarry, which is an interesting point that I think That's a lot of people that I don't noticing. expect to come back to the States with yeah, Johnny we'll Depp on board. Not, not, yeah. not expecting him to, uh, I hear he's not in the movie in that a, much, in a right? US it's, sale. it's more about my, my one who of course has her own scandals since she like hit a journalist or something, but, she uh, <laughs> and she admitted it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, can always has its scandals. That's just sort of part I like of it. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I'm not approving of anyone hitting anyone, <laughs> but it, it's it's refreshing when it's a woman hitting a man. Yeah. I mean, I'll be curious to see how that plays out. There's a few different scandals brewing. I mean, Thierry Fermo, the, the head of the festival, did that one interview where he said that he, he liked the Woody Allen film, but he couldn't show it because every headline would be, uh, you know, destroying them for it. And I thought that was notable because... In the past, they've sort of been like, well, we're can, you can't touch us. We do what we want to do. So clearly something shifted culturally. No, they've been otherwise a concerted effort to put more women in the competition. That pressure applied was successful. I mean, I wish there were more, but they're they're absolutely making a, you know an improved showing from before. Yeah. Yeah, and you and have it has the so first, much yeah. to do with perspective. It has to do with being able to see the films as being more important, not diminishing them just because they're directed by women. Which is, although they're putting them all at the end, what is that about? Directed that. by women films. I mean, I it's hard to theorize about these things, right? Because there are some people who request later slots at the festival because they're still finishing their films or because they were added at a particular moment or other logistical issues, including talent. You will talk to Terry, so you will ask yes. him. This we question. will get into that one for sure. Uh, anyway, when are you speaking to him? It's it's happening. <laughs> it's a process, as you know. I mean, we did we had Thierry on this podcast pre COVID. He came uh, over to the American <laughs> Pavilion too. But he said he was going to be there, and then he didn't show up until the last twenty minutes while we were on stage. So you never know what might. All right, happen. we got to sell him. Yeah. We got to we'll sell improvise him. our way through that. You're going to do you're going to do a live screen talk with David Ehrlich. Yes, yes. Actually, I can I can I can announce that that's actually a nice thing for people who will be a can to know about, which is that the Tuesday, the second Tuesday of Cannes, because Cannes starts on Tuesday, so a week into the festival at, at 2 p.m. at the American Pavilion. Uh, maybe we'll have to FaceTime you in if you can uh, get up at that early hour in Los Angeles. We'll, we'll see. But, I don't know that uh, it's that important to me. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have plenty of good stuff in store. We're, we're still talking about more live editions and, and so forth. But well, I we'll think check we in. may be doing a live Tribeca edition. That's right. That's right. So some stuff is cooking on that. I'm front, planning to come sure. to Tribeca for once, which yeah. is good. That's not yeah, true. I mean, I've been several times, but yeah. I don't always go. Yeah, no, it's it's a good excuse to have you here in the summertime, of course. So um, we should also note that in spite of all this can talk, there are movies opening this week uh, and we've seen a few of them. I think y you've seen one that I haven't seen, which is still the Michael J. Fox. So that's already up on Apple, Apple TV. Right, that opened like Plus. a week or two ago. Yeah. yeah. And we uh, meant to talk about it earlier. It's called so. Still, a Michael J. Fox movie. And it's Davis Guggenheim, who we know from An Inconvenient Truth. He won an Oscar for that. He's a very good documentary filmmaker. And he saw an opportunity here to take all the the audio from, from the books that Michael J. Fox has written, the 
story of his Parkinson's disease, which was diagnosed when he was age 29 and which he hid for seven years. He's 61 now. So he's had it for a long, long time. And now it's kind of bad and he falls down all the time and he has pins in his cheek and pins in his hand and his hand is trembling and he can it can never heal and he's in terrible pain this is a good movie and he did a great job he made it a very entertaining and he edited together all these bits from michael j fox movies like back to the future and teen wolf and bright lights big city and he's got the the romance with tracy Pollen is is used from a scene that they have in bright lights big city there's there's all these different ways that he uses the material and creative editing um choices that he makes and it's it's very entertaining at the same time that it's very uh moving it's a good movie I'm glad you said that, and, and I will make time probably post can to to watch it because I I do enjoy a good celeb doc that consolidates all of this information and hits on the points why you're invested on that in that that person. I hear so much complaining now about the state of the doc market being dominated. This one isn't by one of the hagiographic. Yeah, you there's know, so much uh, promo reels that are popular these days, and the other the other reason to I just think it's good filmmaking. Um, one of the other things he does is to adapt the Interatron that Errol Morris uses. And, and now that Errol Morris has abandoned it. <laughs> directly. Yeah, because it's sort of got its faults. Well, he's got he's uh -huh. figured this. He got a tip from a cinematographer and he figured out this one angle where he can look at the guy and talk to him four feet away and have it look like he's looking straight at the camera. So Michael hmm. J. Fox's baby blues coming straight at the camera is very effective. Yeah, I can see that too. Cause he's sort of charming, right? I mean, that's part of that part of it. It's not the Aaron Morris thing where you're like creepily staring into the eyes of somebody who destroyed the Republic or was a serial killer or whatever. He's <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No. And also Errol is the one who's like six feet away yelling at him. He's right. what did yeah, you he do? Yells. That's true. He does. He yells a lot. What a goofball. He's so he's so funny. But I love his movies and I hope he keeps making them. There's also Blackberry opening. I don't know. Did did you get a I chance see to see that, that one? one? Did you see it yeah i saw it back when it premiered in berlin earlier this year i really enjoyed it uh it surprised me matt johnson is this kind of quirky character a very like low budget indie guy his first movie the dirties like 10 years ago one slam dance it was like this found footage movie about a film like an aspiring filmmaker who turns out to be a high school shooter so it's very dark but and but it's also funny because you see it through the perspective of somebody that's willing to empathize with that perspective, which made it, made it sort of a, a talky breakout story. So 10 years later, he sort of traveled through the system. He got an agent. He got some offers. He decided to stay in Toronto with his friends and make movies that are very lo-fi and then got this offer to adapt a book about the Blackberry story. And they made it on a very low budget, under $5 million in Toronto. The biggest star is Glenn Howerton, the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, who's very funny. But it's it's really, it has this kind of like lo-fi social network kind of vibe to it because the story of the Blackberry, which we all remember being this like great smartphone until it wasn't. I was so addicted great. in, in yeah. my day. 
It's a it's a really interesting. I had to story. really fight uh, about giving it up when I had yeah. to get my first iPhone. It was a. By the way, so trauma. did Barack Obama. I mean, everybody was into the that keyboard. I tried to get a keyboard on my iPhone for a while. We all I, fought it, but we went. Right. You know, we eventually we we succumbed. So but, the movie hear- is this kind of comedy of errors, basically about like a, a geeky guy played by Jay Baruchel who figures out how to get email on a smartphone, and then Glenn Howerton is not a tech guy; he's a business guy, and he comes in and basically says, you know, I'll be your CEO and figure out how to do the corporate side of your business if you give me a huge share of the company. And so it ends up being this really complicated thing where this sort of scrappy Silicon Valley type of startup uh, becomes more corporatized and more corrupt. And then the iPhone comes along. And of course, the iPhone creates all these complications. Really entertaining. I mean, it's just a double bill with Tetris, you know, and yeah, uh, I know. I, I was telling somebody about air. BlackBerry the other night yeah. and they brought up Tetris. I do feel like I've, I've talked to this before, like there is something about like the, the 90s as it recedes from view the end of the 20th century, that it's becoming more and more canonized by popular storytelling. It's it's kind of charming in a way. No, it, it, um, I, but the I one I saw uh, that's coming up is Sanctuary, which is another kind of um, low budget, two people in a room kind of movie that uh, it's it's Chris Abbott and Margaret Qualley. And Margaret Qualley, I've had my eye on her for a long time. Oh, for sure. Uh, Once upon she's a time. showing she's showing how good she is. She's, she's really in this movie. She's sexy. She's powerful. She's vulnerable. Yeah. And it feels like it's not about sex and it's not about romance. It's about power because she's a dominatrix. And, yeah. and the guy, this rich, wealthy uh, hotel magnate is trying to break up with her. In a he's sort of a Don and, Jr. type, he, like he, he inherited he money. And, he is. Yeah. And, and, and he's and he's 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 actually sort of dorky. And, and he's and he but you realize that he's fired her and given her this thirty two thousand dollar watch and that she's upset. And yeah. she comes back takes a turn. to wreck her revenge. It's a fascinating yeah, I enjoyed it. dynamic. Yeah. And also there's all this role playing going on. So you don't always know, like, is this part of the sex thing or is she really, you know, messing with him or, or whatever? Uh, you know, Zach Wegon, who made the movie, used to be a film critic. He actually freelanced for us a few times a while ago. And I like the way that this movie is like very thoughtful about what it's doing cinematically in a small space. Absolutely. You know, it's not just a film play. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens. there's a part point where it's almost like the conversation where he's looking for a hidden something in the yeah, room. That's where it it's goes really crazy. well shot. That's where yeah. it goes batshit crazy. It was a good time. Yeah. I like that people are making stuff like this. I don't know if this was a COVID movie, so to speak, you know, where we suddenly had all these movies that were being made on a small scale. But whether it's Blackberry or Sanctuary, there is something that I think is worth singling out about the fact that like you don't need to spend 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 million dollars to make a good movie now this could be on a double bill with fair play which is also about the battle of sexes, also about gender dynamics and power dynamics also that one costs more just just because the director had some connections and was able to shoot a more expensive movie but it, it could have been made this cheaply and netflix bought that for 20 million out of sundance and we'll be reintroducing it later this year so i wonder you know, if people will have a chance to see Sanctuary if that comparison will come up more. Um, but one of the course- things I noticed about the list of films that are, you know, in all these packages and can were who the hot uh, actors were. Yeah. Who, yeah, that's how you learn, selling, right? Who's so Jacob Alordi is in everything, um, along with 
uh, Daisy Edgar Jones. These are the two uh, big names that show up in like Interesting. You know, multiple projects. These aren't people who I'm deeply familiar with. I have to admit. I so mean, you you never saw normal people. I I watched normal. That people was the discovery bit. of Paul Mescal. Yeah. As but well. that was yeah yeah that's true. And it took a little while for him to find that next stage where he crossed over. So well he was he was picked up pretty fast. I mean he got booked in everything now i mean she is she's getting booked in everything too and then the other um the, the jacob alordi is out of euphoria the hbo series. yeah 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 so he he and zendaya broke out of that yeah I, it's interesting thinking about the way the market works i remember there was this that this documentary that was not particularly good with a now canceled filmmaker James Toback and and Alec Baldwin. Do you remember that documentary where they mm -hmm. went to the can market? It was about can. It was about can and they played it at can where they go to the market and it's like they're trying to make a movie with Alec Baldwin and Nev Campbell and then everyone says you need Ryan Gosling and Jessica Chastain. I think it's really interesting. I mean, the movie's not great. And, you know, screw those people. I remember but like, it being um, pretty accurate, though. But it's very yeah. accurate how quickly yeah. things change. Yeah. So, so I guess the, we'll those see. Those are the flavors of the month at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But it is funny how it's like you get these press releases. Con there's like a constant stream of like announcements. And it's really hard to know if any of that's what will actually be good. And, you know, the buyers will see like oh, which of the movies will actually, actually get made. You know, yeah. a lot of these are announcements that never turn into and I mean, if they don't sell, if they don't if they don't actually get uh, the the money they need to make a movie, it won't happen. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. I mean, Blackberry, I was talking to somebody about this. So IFC, which we talked about last week, is it's now in an interesting moment in their history because they have a whole new team. They bought this movie off of a trailer at like AFM or something. You know, so it's you never really know at one point someone's going to make a, a business decision that's like, I want this movie to happen. I always bring this up. I mean, Roadside picked up Judy off of a promo reel, like a five right. minute promo reel. And, and probably we're thinking about an Oscar. The best in actress. Yeah. Uh, film. Yeah. Yeah. People make quick decisions in these environments on the basis of what might seem like superficial choices. And sometimes those are brilliant choices and sometimes they're not so brilliant. But I guess we shall see. So next week. We shall see. So I'll, you'll be in Cannes next I'll week. I'll be there. I'll find you. We'll check in and see how things are going. All right. Uh, you'll be my you'll be my man <laughs> on the ground. Yeah, it'll All be right. a, it'll be a weird time, you. I'm sure. But uh, right. yeah, you, you should have some questions for me by All then. All right. Well, I wish I was in the best. apartment with you. It, it's sad for me, but I'll be watching from afar. We'll get you some rosé on Drizzly. You'll be fun. OK, All bye right. bye. See you soon. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.